to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up BFW's weekly show where we hit on all the biggest news, all the biggest stories. Like every week, Bayern Munich was involved in quite a bit of news. Germany was involved in quite a bit of news. So we've got plenty to talk about. So why don't we get right to that? And I know I will not bore you with the details of the World Series. And you know my Philadelphia Phillies fandom has been uh, at a peak level this week. So we're not going to go pitch by pitch through that. But I will talk slightly about it at the very end. Not too long because I know you are here for the Bayern Munich and Germany coverage. So let's get right to it. We'll hit our format, the five things that we learned this week. First thing we learned was that Bayern Munich was... Oh, man, they were dominant in the Champions League group stage this season. And I don't know how, looking at the results, seeing what Bayern Munich was able to do, that you would not come away impressed with this team. Now, I know there have been a lot of ups and downs, particularly in the league. The Bundesliga, you could make an argument Bayern has slightly underperformed. But in the Champions League, Bayern Munich was laser-focused on dominating that group. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, When you look at things, you see clubs like FC Barcelona, Inter Milan. Those were supposed to be two, uh, the primary two competitors to Bayern Munich in this club, in this group. Of course, Victoria Plzenia was also in. And and while they were a very game side, they weren't quite at the level or held quite at the level of Barcelona and Inter. So Plzenia, I thought, was a very good team to have in this group. They did test Bayern Munich when Bayern was not facing off with the other big two. So to me, Plazenia, I thought, did really well. They held their own against Bayern Munich, and I I gained a lot of respect for them. As for how Bayern manhandled FC Barcelona and Inter Milan, I came away super impressed for a couple of reasons. One, while FC Barcelona is not as good as I feel like some people give them credit for, and I don't think Inter Milan is quite at the level maybe they were last year. Bayern could only face those teams, right? They were involved in the group. So what Bayern did was keep that focus, ramp up its intensity, and come out and just outperform Inter and Barca in every match. And all four of those matches, Bayern was clearly the better side. And I felt like that's something that Julian Nagelsmann needed to have his team do. He didn't just need to win the group. He didn't just need to to beat those teams. He needed to come out, have his team dominate and build some self-belief, build up their confidence and see that they really could play together against top tier competition. And I think if anything, that is exactly what Nagelsmann achieved here. This group should have been harder than it was. It should have been. And that's to no fault of Bayern Munich. Uh, Barca is clearly going through some things. They do have Robert Lewandowski, but they have a lot of talent, but it is not meshing, at least as far as I could see in the matches within the Champions League group. Inter Milan is is just up and down. To me, they don't have the overall talent base that Bayern has. They're not as good of a team as Bayern is at this stage. So in the end, what many people were calling the group of death really became the group of no challenge for Bayern Munich because they steamrolled everyone in the group. And I really do think you could argue that Victoria Plazenia was probably, maybe they might have been a tougher task for Bayern Munich than either Barca or Inter. And I'm not saying that lightly. I just mean individual matchups, the way that Victoria Plazenia played, it created a little bit more of a headache for Bayern than, say, how Inter played against Bayern. So. 
I do think that Bayern needed this domination. They needed to prove to themselves that they were capable of being in that top tier, that upper echelon of club that can compete for a Champions League title. Now, I think a lot of fans and a lot of media and pundits, they all predicted that Bayern would be at that level by the end of this competition. But from a team standpoint, while I'm sure they always have self-belief, they actually needed to go out and do it. They needed to prove to themselves that they could go out and face top-tier competition and shut it down. And that's exactly what they did. And Nagelsmann did so with this team with a rotating cast of characters. Uh, There were plenty of injuries that occurred throughout the group stage. And not to mention that, Byron had already pretty much wrapped everything up after its fourth game. So those last two matches against FC Barcelona and Inter Milan, they meant nothing. But he still had the team go out and stomp Barca and Inter. And they beat them convincingly in both of those final two matches. When there was no motivation, they had nothing to play for except pride, except the willingness and the want to build momentum as a team, and and really the desire to get better as a unit. And the fact that Bayern was able to go out there, stay, stay so focused, focus on that task at hand, and really just go out and, and stomp out both of those two teams. I came away super impressed. Listen, I've said it before. I don't know if this Bayern Munich group is good enough to win the Champions League title in the end. I don't know when we get to April, May, when we get to that time, what this team is going to look like, what they're going to be playing like. We don't know. But what I will tell you is they are starting to show signs of being able to take down those teams that are probably sitting atop the pyramid right now. And I'm talking about Manchester City. I'm talking about Real Madrid. And that's probably all I'm talking about because I I don't consider anyone else at the top there. I I think it's those two teams and Bayern Munich. And then after that, it's just a step down. And and I would include PSG in in that second level of teams. But Bayern is showing that they can get to that level, that they can reach those heights. In the end, when it comes down to it, if they're matched up with Manchester City or they're matched up uh, with Real Madrid, are they going to be able to get the job done? That's something we're going to have to wait and see. But there has been a lot of progress made, and this team has a a, a cocksure nature. They are, are full of self-belief at this point. And I think that what they did was build something very, very good in the group stage here. And hopefully that can carry over to the Bundesliga, the DFB Pokal, and the rest of the Champions League. The second thing we learned this week, and this is going to be a huge topic on BFW in the coming days, is that Bayern Munich's next possible opponents are Liverpool, PSG, Club Bruges, and AC Milan, which is, it's not really an easy quartet there. You could say Club Bruges would be the easiest of the lot there. You could say that Bayern might not have as much trouble with AC Milan. Liverpool is arguably down. PSG would be just a crazy tilt to have at this stage. But either way, uh, there will be a ton of coverage on that. We will have a podcast uh, as part of our flagship show uh, that will be released on Sunday night. We'll have a a little bit of a talk about that. We will also cover the draw itself, not just on the site, but with a podcast so we can react to that. There will be plenty of preview articles. Uh, In fact, some of our writers are taking on 
what teams uh, actually just giving previews of each of those teams we listed out. Uh, and I need no name actually hit on the probability uh, that Bayern will face Liverpool, which of all the odds that that have been uh, spread out right now, the statistics say that Bayern is most likely to face that Liverpool team, which brings me to my topic here. And it is that I want Liverpool in the next round. And typically I will tell you this. I am a person that wants to get through a tournament of any type by just having the, I don't want to say easiest path, but I feel like you don't want to always take on the best opponent at every round. So my logic tells me that the best thing for Bayern Munich in the next round of this competition is to either have Club Bruges or AC Milan. Now I know that the, Milan fans will take that as an insult, but it's really not. Uh, Club Bruges is obviously a lot smaller than Bayern. I, I don't really anticipate they would give Bayern many problems. Milan is is also um, is a tough team, but I don't think they're quite at the level of Bayern this season. PSG, uh, you know, whatever. I think it's too early for that matchup. Plus, we've seen it a lot already. So that leaves me to Liverpool, and I want Liverpool. And I usually wouldn't do this. I usually would say, you know what? Give me Club Bruges and let's move on. Bayern will advance and then we'll worry about who's next. And that is typically how I think. If I was coaching a team, I would want the easier draw because I want to advance. So I want every advantage that I can get going into a matchup. And if I know I'm a lot better than Club Bruges, then I want that matchup. But for me, a guy sitting behind a microphone, a guy running a Bayern website, I want Liverpool. And there are several reasons why I want Liverpool. One is that I think Bayern needs to exercise some demons against Liverpool. Uh, obviously, there was the Champions League tie a couple of seasons back where Liverpool dumped Bayern Munich out. I, I think that, you know, not that anyone's still harboring any ill will or bad feelings about that, but it's always nice to get some revenge, even if it is a couple of seasons later. Two, I don't think Liverpool is quite up to where they were. And I think that you'd be hard pressed to find anybody that to argue that Liverpool is in its best form under Jurgen Klopp at this stage. Uh, Liverpool has been extremely up and down uh, and more down than up considering the talent that they have on the squad. It's not saying they couldn't give Bayern a, a good battle. They obviously could, but this is not a prime Liverpool side under Jurgen Klopp. They're just not as fluid not as tough, frankly, and they are not as talented and deep, I think, as his squads from years past. So I would feel pretty comfortable and pretty confident going into that. And another reason I would really want to favor Liverpool, and this is such a, a selfish thing, and I'm I'm such a bad person for this, but as you all know, our tweetmeister Tom Adams is a big Byron fan. He is also a big Liverpool fan. And to me, it would be great to have Byron knock out Liverpool one because it would free up Tom to help the site more because when there are Liverpool games, Tom's attention tends to drift over to Liverpool. (laughs) But uh, I'm a bad person because I know that (laughs) if Byron knocks out Liverpool, Tom, part of Tom's inside will die. And to me, I'm just one of those people that want to watch Tom's world burn, even though I love Tom, he's, he's the best. But it would be good for me to see him go through that little bit of pain in having Liverpool get knocked out by Bayern Munich because I know Tom would be conflicted. I know it's probably the matchup he least wants to see. 
but I'm all for chaos right now. I don't know if it's just that I'm getting older and I, I like this kind of thing, but I do want to see Tom being so conflicted and having his allegiances really tested as Byron and Liverpool face off. And again, in the end, it would be electric. And I, I think that if you're Bayern Munich and you're looking for some legitimacy as you're going on this Champions League run, taking down a Premier League side never hurts. You've already taken down Serie A with Inter Milan. You've already taken down La Liga with FC Barcelona. So the next logical step to me is you take down a Premier League side, and if it's Liverpool, then so be it. I would love to see Bayern and Liverpool in the next round. I think Bayern would have the advantage. I think they are the better team. Will they win? I think so. I don't know what Tom thinks about that. I'll have to talk to him. Uh, he probably won't be too thrilled that I want to see uh, him battling with his inner self about who he should support and and when he should support them and how he should support them. He might just lock himself in a room and not watch any of the matches, but uh Either way, Tom knows I'm just busting his stones and that uh, he's much appreciated. But to me, it would be a lot of fun to see Bayern Munich and Liverpool uh, really battling against each other in the next round. And and that's what I'm rooting for. So I don't know what you guys think or who you want Bayern to face off with. Maybe you're like my brain telling me that you want Club Bruges because you just want to get through. You want the easiest path. And I get that. Uh, that's usually That is usually my philosophy. But nope, this time I want Liverpool. Uh, the third thing that I learned this week is that Eric Maxim Chupo Moting's future at Bayern Munich is somewhat in question at this point. Now, listen, Chupo has been absolutely great. He has been fantastic in taking over the starting striker role. The one thing we don't know about what he's doing is, is it sustainable? Can he do this over the course of this long season? Is he someone that Bayern could see being a bridge type striker to stay in that role until they can invest in another player, or if someone like Matisse Tell or someone else on campus can step up and take that role. We don't know any of that yet because we don't know exactly what Bayern Munich wants with Chupo. We do know that they want to talk to him, that they'd be interested in extending him, but do they see him as anything more than a backup or a bridge player? And I don't know that they do. I don't know that they're looking at him right now, seeing this, the success that he's had. And if if they're thinking, all right, we can go the rest of the season with him starting at striker, or we can go into next season with him being the starter. And the hope is that eventually we either invest in a new player or one of our young guys steps up and just takes the takes the bull by the horns and grabs the role. None of that is clear. But one thing that we do know is Bayern does value him and that other clubs are starting to value him too. One of those, surprisingly, and this really did come out of nowhere, is Manchester United. Now, Manchester United has its own set of problems. They're dealing with Cristiano Ronaldo and what they want to do with him. They have a lot of issues on their squad. They have a, a lot of things that they need. Perhaps a player like Chupo, who would be a free transfer, would be someone they would look at as a bridge player to help hold the position down. Maybe they value what he brings as a backup. And who really wouldn't value that? If you look at backup strikers, he's easily one of the top backups in the world, right? I mean, he comes in, he produces, he knows his role, he knows his position, he knows what to do. He's a likable guy. He's popular in the locker room. There's There are no cons to Chupo, maybe a side of his age. He is getting up there uh, a little bit in age. 
But I think what clubs are starting to see is that they can get him at a really for no cost via transfer and that his salary is not going to be exorbitant. So if other clubs are starting to put that together, this could become a competition that Bayern Munich can't win. Cause I don't know what Bayern's threshold is for paying a lot for a backup striker or even a bridge role strikers. You know, like I said, someone that can hold down the fort until someone else steps up or someone else comes in. I don't think it's quite the type of role or quite the type of position that Bayern's going to invest heavily in. And I don't know that many clubs are, but I do think that somewhere out there, there is a club that's going to offer Chupo more money. That, that are, They're probably going to offer him a larger role than what Bayern can guarantee. So it'll be interesting to see what entices him. What does he want more? Does he want to close out his career in these last few years you know, at Bayern Munich, being a backup, most likely making a good living, having a great life, getting probably a little bit of playing time and just milking the rest of this career for all it's worth. Or does he want to take one more run at it, see if he can get a bigger role and 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 see if he can thrive that way or the Manchester United scenario, which is probably take a huge paycheck and probably not have to do a lot anyway, because given how fickle they are they would probably bring in two or three strikers to compete for the role. Anyway, whatever the case, I think that Chupo is in a very good position personally because he's going to have options. And who doesn't like options? Uh, Bayern Munich, meanwhile, is going to have to decide just how valuable he is and what they want from that role and what they want from him as a player. And I'm going to be really fascinated because I do think Brazo and the rest of the Bayern Munich brass, I think they really value him. I think Nagelsmann likes him a lot. I don't know what he's going to do the rest of the season. I don't know if he's going to continue to hold down the fort as a starting striker. I don't know if Nagelsmann's going to go back to that four triple two that doesn't feature a striker. We don't know any of this at this point. I think it, if anything, it's going to be very flexible and we'll see a little bit of everything because just that seems to be what Nagelsmann does. So for Chupo, I think all he can do is just continue to focus on himself, continue to produce and continue, continue to build up the interest that's out there. And, and, and there are clubs out there. There are additional clubs that are looking at Chupo. It's not just Manchester United, but he's going to have to make that decision. What does he want in the final years of his career? What does he want to be? Does he want to, you know, be the type of player that's going to ride it out of Bayern? Or does he want to take one more stab at being a star? Uh, And that's a relative term. But being a starting player, having a big role, and really, you know, trying to go out that way. And I'll be very interested to see what he decides. I do think Bayern will push to keep him. I just don't know if they're going to be able to, if he continues to play like he has. And it's been... Really, really impressive. I don't know how you can watch the guy right now and and not expect at least a goal from him every game. He has just been that good. Uh, So this whole situation, it kind of sprung up out of nowhere, but it's going to be something Byron's going to have to address. And they're probably going to have to start talking to him uh, probably as early as January just to see, you know, what he wants, where he's at and what they can offer him. That's not just in terms of money, but in terms of role in the future as well. The fourth thing that we learned this week is that Benjamin Pavar had a hell of a week. Uh, so we'll start with the bad news first for him. He was booked for a DUI, which is very, very unfortunate. It's very poor decision-making. 
and obviously he's uh you know just you know it, it's it's not a good thing any way you slice it for far he really should not be doing that and it's always very disappointing when you see an athlete do it because of course athletes make just millions of dollars and they have access to everything so if you were even in that position why would you drive when you could easily just call a service get someone else to do it it makes no sense but uh so that was a little disappointing but again there's a whole lot worse going on in the world than that so i'm sure like everyone that was a little bitter at him has has forgiven him the club has clearly moved on from it but aside of that, Pavar was also a bit irritated because he sat on the bench twice. He's also been twice in a row. Uh, he sat out, which was very irritating for him. He had a little bit of a blow up at practice last weekend. Uh, maybe not as much a blow up as just being frustrated and storming away rather than acknowledging his coaches. Um, Pavar is frustrated. And I think that's very, very obvious. Uh, you know, he's frustrated about having to sit those two games because he has been great this season. So why should he sit? He's probably a little frustrated because he's wanted to move the center back, but hasn't gotten that opportunity. He's probably a little frustrated because they brought in Matisse Delict because Delict is obviously not coming here to be a backup and eats up one of those three primary center back roles with Luca Hernandez and Dio Upamakano. So Pavar probably has a little bit of angst, a little bit of bitterness built up. And he probably exploded last weekend. And even though it wasn't like a true explosion with flipping tables and punching walls and all that kind of thing, it probably all just came out last weekend because he did sit those two games in a row. And it probably bugged him mostly because he has been pretty damn good this season. In fact, I would go far, go as far to say he's been excellent this season. And Pavar has really been one of the more polarizing figures on the Bayern Munich roster over the years. I mean, there was a big segment of people just in the BFW community who were of the, you know, Pavar's trash kind of idea. And some people maybe not have been, might not have went that far. Some people just didn't like his game. They didn't think it was that good, but there were some real, real haters and, and, you know, going after the guy really. Um, But now, I mean, I don't know how you look at the guy and you don't think he's been good this season. He has done everything they've asked him to do. He's contributed offensively. He's been excellent defensively. Positionally, he's been great. He's shown the ability to slide seamlessly from right back to center back, which is something that Julian Nagelsmann, among many coaches, love. Just having a guy like him is just so valuable. And the fact that he is now in his physical prime, that his performance level is really at a peak. I mean, he's playing great. It's a shame because it just all seems now with his contract ending in 2024 that he's headed on his way out of Bayern Munich. And that's super unfortunate because I think as a right back at Bayern Munich, he was really headed to doing some great things. Cause I think he had finally gotten to a point where his health wasn't a consistent issue where he is in good physical form. He's obviously very fit. He's taking care of himself and he's just got that knack for making big plays when they need to be made. And that's either offensively or defensively. He he has shown the ability to do both. And again, we'll talk about his flexibility and versatility. Being able to switch and slide around like he can is such a valuable tool for any coach. It's such a valuable asset to have on a roster. It's a shame to think that now that 
that kind of player who has finally gotten to where many fans wanted him to be over the course of his time at Bayern Munich, that he's now probably going to move on. The latest reports indicate that there have been no talks between Pavar and the club, that Pavar is probably leaning toward moving on. And we're also seeing clubs like Chelsea, Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid, and Manchester United all having interest in Pavar. And it's not shocking because he's been that good. I think the main thing that Pavar will probably find from these clubs is that they also want him as a right back and that his ability to play center back is less important for them, which is kind of crazy because center back, I think, as we know, you know, if you can find a good center back or a player that can play center back at a really high level, you know, that's it's to me, it's a really like the left tackle position in the NFL. If you find one of those, you lock that player up and, and you keep them on your team as long as you can, because it's such a valuable position for Bavar. I think he's going to also have to make some decisions and he's going to have to navigate through this, this transfer window coming up next summer and figure out what he wants, where he wants to be. And then what the possibilities are for him playing center back. When I look at those clubs that he's been most closely linked to, I mean, I think right away I would, if I wanted to play center back, I'd probably cross off Chelsea and Real Madrid because I don't think it's, I just don't think realistically they would use him as a center back. I think they might lure him there as a center back, but I think they would turn around and use him as a right back. Uh, as far as Atletico Madrid and Manchester United go, it's a very tough call. Uh, I don't know if I was Benjamin Pavar, what, what I would want to do. I mean, Manchester United is such a mess. Atletico Madrid, I think is limited. I would say, I think they're a very good team, a very good club, obviously, but I, I don't think they have quite the high ceiling that say Bayern Munich has, or that even like a Liverpool or a Chelsea or Manchester city, they just, they just have a higher ceiling for what they'd be able to do. Uh, so for Benjamin Pavar, he's going to have to make some, some decisions. And I think that Bayern Munich is going to look to sell him next summer because I, I don't think that they can envision a role for him at center back, given the three players they already have there. And I think that they know that, that, his willingness to play right back is really going to wane in the coming years. And it might be something that they're looking to avoid having that conflict and really just trying to help the player get where he wants to be. Can they do it next summer? And what will they be able to get for him? Whatever they get for him is not going to be enough because I think with the way he's progressing, he's showing that he he is becoming a world-class player at two spots. Unfortunately at Bayern Munich, you have a roster full of them and, and, you know, no matter how you feel about Luca Hernandez, Dio Upamakano, and Matisse Delict, they are so good and have all three been so good this season. It's it's just hard to think that you would need a fourth center back of that caliber, which I think Benjamin Pavar could be. The big conflict is obviously with Nusauer Misrali, who was a you know, who was a transfer in last summer and got off to a bit of a slower start. And then Pavar just really just put a death grip on the position by being so good. It really limited Mizrahi's uh, ability to get any playing time. And now recently with the need to rotate and with the condensed schedule, Nagelsmann has started to lean on Mizrahi a little bit more. And I think that we're seeing that Bayern is is potentially starting that slow transition to giving Mizrahi the role because they don't see a future with Pavar. At least that's my theory. I think that they still will use Pavar, but I think that more and more we're going to be seeing Mizrahi until it becomes 
officially official that Pavar won't be coming back. And then I think we'll start to see the club shift even more and more, if not all of the playing time to Mesrali. So that'll be something for us to keep an eye on as the story progresses, as we get closer to the summer. I don't think there'll be any winter movement for Pavar. He's simply too valuable to let go at this time of year. Uh, his just his ability to switch positions alone and just the level he's playing at. It would be silly to to do that now. I just, you know, one of the downsides of that is, you know, when you get to next summer, you're obviously not going to have as much leverage because Pavar will only have that last season on his deal. And if someone really wants him, they could easily just wait one more year and let him play out another season at Bayern Munich. So uh, it's it's a tough position for Bayern to be in. I think that they're going to have to cap at, cash out on Pavar next summer. Uh, but it's unfortunate because I like, you know, I like what he's done with his game. I've always liked his game. Even when Byron signed him, I thought that it was a very good signing. I did question whether he would be able to get time at center back and that given like the center back core now is completely different, but it shows you what Bayern Munich has been like, you know, not only did they have a quality core of center backs back then, you know, they've shifted over time and brought in even more world-class players. So, it's a very difficult position to break into a Bayern Munich for sure. And it's very, just very unfortunate that Pavar is reaching this level and he's probably going to have to move on. It's to me very disappointing. And it's, you know, one of those stories that I think we'd like to see change and like to see him uh, change his own mind about playing right back. Cause I do think he's been better than Nusar Mizrahi. Um uh, rally hasn't been bad by any means. I think he, he can be a very good player. I don't think he's as good as Pavar right now, but that will be something that Bayern will have to adapt to next season, probably, because it does not look like Benjamin Pavar will be here. The fifth and final thing that we learned this week was a, a real shot to the heart for me. Uh, hashtag Timo time is down for the count. An ankle injury will keep Timo Werner out of the World Cup. Germany's roster is now in a bit of flux because I do think Timo Werner was going to play a big role under Hansi Flick. Uh, I think Flick really likes Werner. I think that's pretty obvious. I think, you know, Flick has talked about Werner many times and Flick was getting very good production out of Werner. I know Werner has his detractors, but his form was really coming back around. He's looked much better since rejoining RB Leipzig. You know, going to Chelsea is very tough. They're, they have way too many attackers. It's tough to keep any consistency, get into any flow. And I think that did hurt Werner a lot. Now coming back to Germany, playing with RB Leipzig, I think he's gotten a lot better. And I think he's look. He started. He was starting to really look like that player we saw leave Germany, one that was just lethal on the counterattacks, one that could just beat you with his speed, whether they were outright long runs or those short dynamic diagonal runs in the final third. He was starting to get back to looking like that kind of player. So picking up that injury against Shakhtar Donetsk, that was very unfortunate. And it's even more unfortunate because it's going to keep him out of the World Cup, which you only get so many chances for World Cups as a player. And and for Werner to be shut out because he took on a bad challenge uh, in, in in a game that, that where it didn't need to happen, uh, it's, it's just, it sucks for the guy. It really does. And I'm not saying that as, you know, the, the leader of the, the Timo train or the, the hashtag Timo time movement, but it, it sucks for any player. And I would say the same thing, whether it was Marco Royce or whether it was Nicholas Sula 
or Christian Gunter or whoever you could name any German player to, to have that kind of injury at this time. It's just very, very unfortunate. And I think that Werner was going to be able to show off his form. This was going to be a great showcase for what his game has evolved to since coming back to RB Leipzig. And I think Flick had the right idea about how to get the best out of Werner. And I think we saw bits and pieces of that as Werner was was winding down his days at Chelsea and when he would get the international call-ups. I mean, he wasn't at his best when he was with Chelsea. He wasn't at his best when he first came back to RB Leipzig. But I think we were going to see more and more of what he's looked like lately for Leipzig. And and it's just, you know, it's a tough thing for Germany. But the fallout from that is what does Flick do now without Werner? Of course, the easy thing to do is to just plug and play. You could go with Kai Havertz. You could go with Nicholas Fulkrug. You could go with Lucas Nemecha. You could go with Yusuf Mukoko. You could move Kareem Adeyemi into the spot. You could use Serge Gnabry there. There are plenty of plenty of options. You could even use Thomas Muller there, which is something I, I think, you know, I had thrown that around in the, in the post we did, uh, you know, detailing Werner's injury because if you used Muller at the nine, you could move Musi, you could use Musial at the ten. You could flank those two with Gnabry and Sane, and you could have Kimmich and Goretzka as your two central midfielders, and then. You truly do have six Bayern Munich attackers all on the same page, all very, very familiar with operating together. And even though Muller is not a natural striker, he might be one of the best options you have on the team if he plays like he wants to score rather than trying to be the point guard distributing to everyone. Uh, so I, I would advocate that. But there are, you know, there are other options to look at. Of course, you could change formation. You could do a 3-4-2-1, you could do a 3-4-1-2, 4-3-3. There are plenty of things. I think primarily what needs to happen is Flick needs to find a way, at least at this point, if Muller is healthy, to use Muller and Musiala together to keep Sané on because he's been excellent this year. The Gnabry part of this whole attacking mix, I guess, is is a preference for me, but I could see if... Uh, like Bastian Schweinsteiger advocated using Marco Royce at right wing. There are other options. You could use Kai Havertz as a right wing. Flick could do some things, no doubt. But there was, I think, a little bit of an assurance with Flick that he was going to have Werner there. Werner was going to start. And if things tanked out, if they didn't work well, he had options to go to. But now he's already having to dig into those into that bag of tricks to figure out how he wants to line all this up. Me personally, I'm using that that front six of Bayern players, taking advantage of their familiarity with each other, their comfort level in playing together. And I'm trying to maximize out that for the tournament. I want to try and ride that and hope that that's a key for me uh, in, in trying to advance on in the World Cup. I don't know what Flick's going to do. I know he likes Kai Havertz a lot. Uh, I don't think Florian Wirtz will be, while he may be on the team, I don't think he'll be quite ready to take on any kind of role. I'm not sure if if this would mean that that Flick would consider using Musiala as a nine and, and potentially uh, trying that out. I mean, because why not? I mean, he has played striker before. He, he certainly can score and dribble with the best of them. So uh, Flick has just a million things. And you know Flick, if you've watched him in his time, with Bayern Munich and so far with Germany, you know he's going to be kicking around things. He's going to try some things out. 
But what he ultimately decides on is is going to be very, very, very interesting to see because I think that, you know, this is a big tournament for him. They brought him in to get the job done, to take this existing talent, mold it, because I think most people, the DFB and a lot of Germany fans feel like the talent at, with Germany is not any worse than what you might see with France or Spain or whoever or England. Um, you know, you could argue about that all day who has the most talent but i think within the halls of the dfa they don't think there's that big of a difference and they think that flick is the type of coach that could help mold the existing talent and and get it to where it needs to be so this is a very big tournament for flick everything that's come before this it all goes out the window because flick will be judged on how he gets this german team to perform Uh, and of course as we know 2018 was a, a complete debacle and uh, no one wants to go back there or think about that. But it, it's got to be far, far better than that. And Flick is going to have to do whatever he can to get the team where it needs to be. But he's going to be operating without a key player, at least in his eyes, uh, that he was probably going to count on. The other interesting thing with Germany that came out this week is, you know, they are not among the countries who have released their provisional list. The players that they have submitted to FIFA as potential World Cup roster players. So there's speculation about exactly who was on the list and Bill released what they thought the list was, or at least what they think they procured. And interestingly, Tony Cruz has recently been bandied about as being one of those players who might be on the list. Now, Kroos, of course, was one of those weird era players who he was so tied at the hip with Yogi Love that when Love decided to flip the roster and get rid of Muller, Boateng, and Hummels, he kept Tony Kroos around, even though Kroos was really the same generation of player as those three. And, and I was among the people who definitely were like, you can't really say you're going to turn it over, say you're going to go young and then keep Tony Kroos on, because Kroos at that time, I think, has always been a, just a fantastic club player. I think for Germany, he was not at his best. And whatever the reason was for that, you know, Yogi Love uh, maybe gave him too much responsibility. Maybe he didn't know how to quite use him, whatever the case was. Just in those years, the post-2017 onward years, I think that Kroos just was not at his best for whatever reason operating for Germany. Now, though, as much as I was against Kroos being on the team when, when Yogi Love wanted to flip things, I would oddly be okay with him being on this World Cups squad. And and here's why. So don't don't start chasing me out of town yet. I'm also advocating for Hummels, uh, Matt's Hummels, because I think that having players like Kroos and Hummels, even if they are your deepest of deep reserves, it brings something to the World Cup camp. It brings something to the locker room, the day-to-day working, inner workings of the team where they can provide leadership, where they can talk about their experiences, where they can help younger players. It's a it's an entirely different role than being counted upon to have to produce. And while I don't think that players like Hummels or Kroos would have any trouble producing, I think they are absolutely more valuable in being able to help lead the team as, as they go to this, whatever it is, three-week, month-long battle in trying to, to win this tournament. So while I was totally anti-Tony Kroos just a couple of seasons ago, I'm now oddly back on the Tony Kroos bandwagon because I do think that he could bring some value to the team 
if his role was indeed to be a, a deep veteran reserve, which, you know, I, I think he, he might be suited for that. And I think he might have a lot to offer with that. So, hey, who knows? I mean, maybe it's all just nonsense and, and Kroos is not on Flick's radar. But if he is, I, I, I would oddly be okay with that. Now, usually... I will wrap the show up with a little bit of an entertainment rundown, but I am going to tell you that I have not been watching anything because I've been so wrapped up with the Phillies World Series run. Of course, I'm recording this on a Thursday, which was the day after they just got no hit. So you can imagine my mood about the Phillies, probably not great, but I am excited about the prospects of them needing to win two of the next three. Though I will tell you, and and this is maybe the, the inner pessimist in me, the odds are against them. Uh, I'm hoping they can get the win tonight in Philadelphia because that would be huge. Uh, it would be absolutely the only way that they can win this series. Uh, but going 2-2 against Houston, a very good team, uh, it's, it's very tough. So anyway, I've been wrapped up in this and have not gotten to any of the streaming that I usually do, like usually try and watch something before I go to bed or as I fall asleep or whatever. Have not gotten to do any of that because I've been wrapped up in the MLB playoffs. So Shame on me. I'll get back to that shortly. The series World Series will be over no later than, what, Saturday, I think. So uh, I'll be back on the train after that. So, hey, just want to say thanks again for listening. Uh, always appreciate it. Keep checking our site. We're going to have some great Champions League draw coverage. Of course, we'll be covering the Bayern game this weekend. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun. So, you know, keep hitting us up. We are delivering content every way we know how and we are having a lot of fun doing it so you can always reach me at the barrel blog you can get the site at bavarian fb works you can get the tweet meister tom adams at tommy adams 71 and tom will probably hate me for what i said earlier but yes let's go byron versus liverpool let's see it uh you can also get my man i need no name at bfwinnn and all of our great podcasters and writers uh, available on the site daily. So check them all out. Listen to all of our podcasts. Have a couple of beers this weekend. Go Phils, and we will see you next time.